everyone. This is Jeffrey Kerr. I'm here today with uh, Alex Meyer to discuss our predictions for the winners of this year's Tony Awards. Now, uh, now, Alex and I, well, we're, we both haven't seen any of the nominated shows. Well, ex except I was able to catch one of the nominated musical productions well, a week ago. But, of course, we'll save that for later. So, so hey, we don't have any, you know... I'm, personal emotions saying the productions we're just being more realistic with our predictions here but we have been following the broadway season so we'll see how we do and uh and no we were originally gonna do a hangout podcast to you know discuss our predictions for nominations but the audio wasn't working then so i guess to fill in our audience here i guess tell us what was your reaction to the nominations well plays first we'll be discussing musicals later but what was your reaction to the play nominees there were especially two big snubs yeah well i mean i i wasn't surprised by the ferryman doing so well just because critics have been praising it religiously and it was like on every critic's top 10 list mm -hmm. but and and to kill a mockingbird was as well but of course to kill a mockingbird shockingly it got several nominations but not best play and we'll kind of give our theories about that when we get to the best play category. Well, oh, yes. yes. In fact, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird actually received the same amount of nominations as The Ferryman. Mm -hmm. yes. Except for the one big nomination. Well, yes. So, In fact, another big snub, which probably isn't too surprising given the overall reception around the production, but Glenda Jackson missed out on a nomination for the first time, her very first Broadway credit where she doesn't receive a Tony nomination. Yeah, I guess they felt, well, she already won last year. We don't need to give it to her again. Well, yeah, coupled with the fact that she was starring a production of King Lear that the industry just did not really care for at all. It was very divisive, and they only gave it one nomination, which is in the featured categories, which we'll get to soon. Not that there's any chance of winning, but still. And then uh, Gary, a sequel to Titus Andronicus, did way better than I thought it would because critic reviews were kind of all over the place. Some really liked it, some really hated it. Mm -hmm. So I, well, I, expect, I expected it to get some design nominations, but not like some of the top honors. Well, yes, although Nathan Ling missed out on lead actor, but of course that category was way too competitive to get nominated in. Yeah, plus he already won his third Tony last year, so I imagine voters weren't really rallying to give him a fourth so soon well well yeah plus is probably a case of the nominating committee feeling you know we don't need to nominate him every time right yes and oh and uh and also now okay this past season there are only seven play revivals on broadway and therefore with the recent rules they made is that if there's at least nine eligible candidates for any category there'd automatically be five nominees and since there were less than eight or less than automatically four, but apparently there was a close race in the nine process, which led to five nominees for best revival of a play. Yeah, and that'll be, that'll be an interesting category for sure. Yeah, so in any case, uh, you know, enough chitter-chatter here about our reactions to the nominations. Let's get on with the, oh, our predictions for the winners. Now, starting with best play, and Alex, would you mind reading off the nominees? Sure, the nominees are Choir Boy, the Ferryman, Gary, a sequel to Titus Andronicus, Inc., and What the Constitution Means to Me. And I think this is one of the biggest locks of the night that I have The Ferryman winning. It's pretty much been, has a lot of momentum ever since it premiered in London, where it did pretty well to Olivier's a year ago. And, you know, and, you know, this was a season that was filled with ambitious plays, yet The Ferryman, which is a, a family drama set in Ireland and featuring not only a top-notch cast, but also a baby, a goose, and a rabbit, has consistently stood out. Oh, and for the record, I'm also reading off some excerpts from the recently published New York Times voter poll. So, yeah. And, and for in fact, before nominations were announced, people thought it was gonna it was gonna be a big race between Ferryman and Aaron Sorkin's stage adaptation to Kill a Mockingbird, which of course wasn't even nominated. So, I guess we can now discuss in more detail about theories of why it was snubbed. And of course, one of them has to do with some controversy that was put upon by its producer Scott Rudin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it looks like. Even at other award shows, To Kill a Mockingbird hasn't done 
as well as people would, as we thought it might do just because of the massive critical and audience response. Like it didn't get nominated at the drama desks for best play, I, I believe. Uh, and I know Jeff Daniels wasn't nominated either the drama desks or critics, outer critics circle. Mm-hmm. So I guess maybe the Tony nominating committee felt, well, I mean, <clears throat> it's a good play, but the book and movie are better. Well, I don't know if they're thinking like that, but I can also probably sense the fact that, you know, again, nominating committee probably feeling, you know, there's such a wealth of new plays this year that people, when they were deciding upon what to nominate, they were probably feeling, well, To Kill a Mockingbird's getting in, but I'm going to go ahead and nominate something else like Gary's sequel to Titus and Drogas or whatever, you know, probably feeling it was so safe that it didn't need their support. Well, since the nominating committee is only made of 50 people, I've always wondered, since it's just that one group that decides all the nominations, do they cast their ballots individually or do they literally put them all in a room together to vote? Well, I mean, I'm guessing individually because they I'm sure they'd like to let people come have their own opinions. I mean... I know in the past, whenever there was like a tie-in and acting category for nominations, you know, they probably forced the nominating committee to take a second about the, as a tiebreaker to decide who's getting in or who's getting left out. But of course, a few years ago, they made new rules where if there was a tie-in any of the acting nominations, they would no longer do that. They would instead expand the numbers, kind of like what we've seen at the Emmys in recent years. And, uh, and then, of course, the other reason why To Kill a Mockingbird might have gotten snubbed could be, I guess you could say, somewhat political, with um, Scott Rudin, the lead producer, forcing regional theaters to cancel the Christopher Sergal adaptation of To Kill a Mockingbird, which has been popular for decades because they Scott Rudin wanted to claim exclusive stage rights to Aaron Sorkin's version. And while I know he did attempt to do damage control by letting these theaters produce the Sorkin version there were like calls for people to boycott every single Scott Rudin show on Broadway mm. well yeah although Scott Rudin still received a couple nominations this year not only is he the lead producer of Gary's sequel to Titus Andronicus but also the Waverly Gallery which is in best revival of a play and he's also a co-producer on the Ferryman and also the Boys in the Band in revival of a play Yeah, so, I mean, I'll admit, I have I really like the Christopher Sergal version of To Kill a Mockingbird because my lo- my regional theater did a production of it a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so, yeah, but in any case, I guess now back to the actual nominees. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a slam dunk for the Ferryman, which I have winning. For, and, and, in fact, my overall rankings on Gold Derby predictions, okay, uh, okay, obviously, Ferryman out top, followed by What the Constitution Means to Me, Inc., Gary, a sequel to Titus Andronicus, and Choir Boy. Okay, I have the same, <clears throat> I have the same top three. I do think What the Constitution Means to Me has a good chance of, maybe, well, not, maybe not too good, but somewhat of a good chance of upsetting the Ferryman because of its Pulitzer Prize nomination and its timely political and social relevance mm-hmm. uh, um, um, and, uh, and yeah I have ink in the in third place but I have the, my bottom two switched out I have choir boy in fourth and Gary in fifth mainly because I think choir boy has more snob appeal because you know it was written by Terrell Alvin McCraney who of course won an Oscar for Moonlight for the best adapted screenplay, so mm-hmm. the fact that McCraney already has an Oscar might make some Tony voters go, okay, well, let's give him a Tony now so he can put that next to his Oscar. Well, oh well, yeah, plus, you know, Choir plus, Boy... Well, plus, Gar- plus Gary got more mixed reviews than Choir Boy. I think it might be too macabre and out there for some because it's, it's a black comedy that's a sequel to a Shakespeare tragedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in fact, I was about to say that, you know, Choir Boy may have may be a more respected play all around, and, you know, it deals with important issues like LGBT and such. Though, I guess part of my reasoning for having it below is that, well, it's the only nominee that's no longer running, even though the Tony Administration Committee has made new rules 
for this season that you know they'll have every single voter marking down whether or not they've actually seen a production. And if they haven't seen at least all the nominees in in at least one category, then they can't vote in that category. They can only vote in a category if they've actually seen all the nominees. Right. <clears throat> Which makes me kind of think that that could actually help Choir Boy in a way. Well, yes. Yeah, so Maybe not. It probably won't win anything. I'm not actually predicting it to win any categories, but yeah. it'll help it get some more, maybe some a few votes that maybe it might other, otherwise might not have gotten. Mm-hmm. Yes, though, though I also take into account, okay, well, Choir Boy isn't up for directing, and, well, neither is what the Constitution means to me, though, I mean, I mean, the last time that a Best Play, a, a play won the Tony for Best Play without a directing nomination was all the way back in 2014, but of course that year neither of the Best Play nominees had a directing nomination. Right, well, and plus with the Ferryman being as acclaimed as it is, I mean... There's just no way that any of the other nominees really even have a, ch- a chance of winning against it. So it kind of doesn't really matter where Choir Boy and Gary are ranked because yeah. they don't have a prayer between them to win. Well, well, yeah, it's a good thing. Well, even though we talk about how nice it would be if we actually see the full results, I mean, I mean, I guess a benefit to that is we don't have to worry about whether we get the rest of the rankings right or wrong. Well, I always like to see, well, I always advocate for publicly releasing the results just to see what what is truly a slam dunk and what is truly a close race. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe not release vote totals, but at least where people landed, like who came in last place, who came close to winning, maybe that. Right. So, but, like, I'm always curious if, like, there's someone who literally wins by, like, just one vote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so because I, because there could be some races, and I'm talking about both plays and musicals. There could be some races where maybe we could have we could have a very rare occasion where maybe there's a tie. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Obviously, I'm not predicting there will be, but well, yeah. Plus, Goldorfi wouldn't even allow us to do that anyway. But there are like some races that are considered way too close to call that I wouldn't be surprised if there is a tie. Well, some of them. Well, yeah, I don't know if there's ever been a tie for best play. I know there was for best musical once back in 1960, which was with between Fiorello and The Sound of Music, even beating the original production of Gypsy. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, no, I'm. There's a certain acting category over on the musical side where, even though I'm predicting one person to win over the other, I could see a situation where these two people do end up. Cr- end up tying possibly if the vote does come to that because like it seems like they each have a 50 percent chance of winning well well, yeah in fact i was literally i i have a feeling i know which category you're talking about in fact i was just watching uh david beacon sam ekman's slugfest for gold derby discussing their predictions and sam was just kind of hoping there'd be a tie or at least well hoping a tie in that category but of course more on that later Uh, are you ready to discuss best revival of a play Yes, this will be interesting to see if our rankings are similar or not. Okay. The nominees are All My Sons, The Boys in the Band, Burn This, Torch Song, and The Waverly Gallery. Now, okay, so this the race this year is hotly competitive. And in fact, the New York Times voter poll that was just published uh, either earlier today or late last night, in any case, uh, what was... Um, what was projected in their survey was a plurality in the survey favors last summer's starry production of The Boys in the Band, which is Mark Crowley's early gay play about an unsettling birthday party. Not far behind are The Waverly Gallery, Kenneth Lonergan's drama about a family struggling to cope with a woman's declining memory, and All My Sons, Arthur Miller's classic about a family haunted by a military parts scandal. So, I guess, what do you have out front? Um, I actually, <clears throat> I actually have the Waverly Gallery winning. Hmm. Well, oh yeah, that was my predicted front runner early on, and although, although the New York Times voter poll, you know, I'm just, I mean, with, okay, 
Uh, yeah, this race may be too close to call, but, you know, I'm starting to get a feeling that the boys in the band is going to win. I mean, it could. I I did move it up to second place after reading the voter poll, but I think it, it you know, it, it all, it, it premiered nearly a year ago, and it was such a high-in-demand show for tickets that I wouldn't be surprised if some voters couldn't get one because all the performances were sold out. Well, yes, although who knows how, how, well, how many of the voters, well, I mean, again, as I discussed with the voting rules that, you know, how many voters were actually able to see all five and are able to vote in this category. And then, well, was, you know, the Waverly Gallery had aired a little, well, it not aired, <laughs> it debuted a, li a little bit later in the season and it's already expected to win another category, which yes. I think will help it. Mm -hmm. Plus, it's um, the it was nominated for the Pulitzer Prize when it premiered off Broadway, and you know, with you know Kenneth Lonergan, who wrote the Waverly Gallery, he's had a lot of his plays that were originally produced off Broadway revived on Broadway this decade, with such mm -hmm. as Lobby Hero and This Is Our Youth, and mm -hmm. now this, and maybe with these new rules about how playwrights can now win the best revival if their play goes from off-Broadway to Broadway or if they make significant changes. Maybe Tony voters who maybe feared Kenneth Lonergan might never win a Tony may now feel, well, okay, he can now win. Let's check him off and let him, and let's, let, yeah. Now let's have him put a Tony next to his Oscar for Manchester by the Sea. Well, well. Yes, although the same argument could be made for Mark Crowley, who's the author of Boys in the Band. You know, this was the Broadway premiere of that landmark play about dealing with LGBT. And, you know, he's obviously much older, and, you know, who knows how many opportunities he could have of actually winning. And I know some think it, the upcoming 50th anniversary of the, Sto the Stonewall Uprising could help, possibly. But I, but even, but I think one thing that could hurt the boys in the band, and I know Mark Crowley himself kind of admitted this, is that, I mean, I've never seen the show, so I only know based on what he's been saying and what other people have been saying is that, while it is a landmark depiction of the gay community, it also contains a lot of self-loathing people and a lot of, un, and a lot of the characters, I guess, could be considered unlikable. Hmm. So voters don't want to deal with unlikable characters winning for you know maybe and if the waverly gallery is meant to be more sympathetic maybe that can help because sometimes a lot of times whether it's the tonys or the oscars voters want to vote for something where you're sympathizing with the main character which sometimes has to do with the roles they're playing too when it comes to the acting categories mm -hmm. yeah i mean i mean who knows i mean i just i mean like they said in the times voter poll it's like too close to call and like every website i've been reading offering predictions they there's like no consensus i think it's ultimately either boys in the band waverly gallery or all my sons i don't think uh i don't think torch song or burn this have a chance at all yeah me too i mean burn this was got mixed reviews and t torch song i mean reviews were i guess pretty okay but I know some critics felt that it was out, the play was out of date, mm -hmm. even though Harvey Firestein like trimmed a whole hour's worth off. Yeah. So, and the fact that it closed early due to poor ticket sales certainly doesn't help it. Well, yeah, I actually, and I will reveal, I actually have Torch Song way down in fifth place. Above it, Burn This. Uh, third, All My Sons. Second, Waverly Gallery. And number one, Boys in the Band. Well, I have I have the same bottom three, but I have Waverly Gallery in first and Boys in the Band in second. Makes sense. Although, another thing I'd like to point out is that, you know, while the Boys in the Band already completed its limited run almost a year ago at this point, you know, there, I think there appears to be a, a real rooting factor for the show. I mean, especially with all the campaigns going on with Mark Crowley as well as one of its producers, Ryan Murphy. That's true, although maybe some, maybe Tony voters will feel that shows it, the, the renewed exposure that the show has gained is, a, is enough of a win hmm. without having to actually give it the Tony. Well, I mean, 
We'll see. I mean, I will. In fact, I should also point out I do have. This is actually the first of my 500 point super bets on gold derby. So, I mean, it's bold, but at least the other one I have right now is on a safer category. Alright, uh, yeah, so... I also wonder if, you know, the resurgence for the play could help, uh, not only thanks to the Broadway premiere, but also the recently announced new film adaptation for Netflix. Maybe, I don't know. Well, we'll see. Yeah, so, I guess now ready to discuss the acting categories? Sure. Alright, first up, best lead actor in a play, and Alex, the nominees are... The nominees are Patty Considine, The Ferryman, Brian Cranston, Network, Jeff Daniels, To Kill a Mockingbird, Adam Driver, Burn This, and Jeremy Pope, Choir Boy. And I think this is another easy category. I mean, Brian Cranston, I think he's been, I mean, according to the New York Times order poll, he's been wowing voters this season with his nightly meltdown as Howard Beale, the fired anchor man whose anger fuels a multimedia per. Uh, production and of course the stage adaptation of Sidney Lumet's Patty Chayefsky's classic network. I'm as mad as hell and I'm not gonna take it anymore. Oh yeah in fact I imagine if Cranston somehow doesn't win he'll probably just jump out of the sea and yell it. <laughs> I don't think he'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> I know it was a joke I mean in fact who knows what James Cor- if James Corden is planning to make at least one joke about that. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, this is one of those, like, roles where two different actors will win two different big prizes for the same role because Peter Finch, of course, won a posthumous Oscar for the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and now Cranston is looking to add and his... Then, and then, of course, with To Kill a Mockingbird, if Jeff Daniels should win, you know, of course, that would be another example since Gregory Peck, of course, won an Oscar for... Film version. Well, yeah, I even mentioned that in a fun fact statistics I did about the nominees for Gold Derby this year. I mentioned the fact that two of the nominees in this category are Emmy winners who are taking on roles that previously won Oscars for their film counterparts. Yeah, but I I do think Brian Cranston. I think he's probably got to be a lock at this point because. He's won almost every award, even winning the Distinguished Drama League Award, for which you can only win once, and then after that, you can't ever be nominated again. Oh, I know. Yeah, so, you know, yeah, he wasn't nominated at the Drama Desk, but, of course, we often talk about always take everything these supposed precursors say with a grain of salt because they don't overlap with the Tonys. But, but yeah, I think Cranston is about to win his second Tony after winning for All the Way back in 2014. And, oh... And, and in fact, he should be lucky that Network will finally be ending its run on Broadway tomorrow, and then the day after that, he can relax at the Tonys. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and then possibly if if enough voters are angry about To Kill a Mockingbird getting snubbed in Best Play, maybe they'll vote for Jeff Daniels as a to, as a way to compensate for that. But yeah, I think. I think the momentum is firmly in Brian Cranston's favor for now. I agree. And in fact, my overall rankings are Brian Cranston, Jeff Daniels, Adam Driver, Jeremy Pope, and Patty Considine. All right. Well, I actually have Patty Considine in third because with this new rule about needing needing to have to see to verify that you've seen all the nominees and the ferryman being the front runner to win best play, even though he left the show months ago, maybe that those rules can help him hmm. we shall see and and then i have adam driver in fourth and jeremy pope in fifth oh well i guess i have jeremy pope ranked a little higher because he's actually a double nominee this year with an additional nomination on the musical side <laughs> yeah well on that well on that side i do have him ranked a little higher than last place well yes we shall of course discuss that later so i guess ready are you now ready to discuss lead actress in the play Mm-hmm. All right, so the nominees this year are, in fact, there are six nominees, so meaning there was a tie between two actresses in the nominating process. But in any case, the nominees are Annette Penning, All My Sons, Laura Donnelly, The Ferryman, Elaine May, The Waverly Gallery, Janet McTeer, Bernhardt's Hamlet, 
Lori Metcalf, Hillary and Clinton, and Heidi Schrick. What's the Constitution means to me? And uh, before I give my predictions for the winner, I should, I'm should i guessing that the tie might have been between Janet McTeer, who was uh, very surprisingly got in, and uh, Lori Metcalf, who was, after winning two years in a row in two separate categories, she's once again the sole nominee from her production. But of course, each time she won, there were multiple other people nominated as well. Uh, well, 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 yes, I'm, I mean, after, or, or, yeah, I, I guess my point I'm making is that whenever she wins, it's when she's not the sole nominee from her production. It's, that's at least how it appears to be at this point. Mm-hmm. Now, in fact, I should, uh, now, as for who I think is going to win, this is my second super bet, and it's a safer one, and that is the legendary Elaine May. Yeah, I, well, I, I forgot to mention I put Brian Cranston as my first super bet. I, oh. although I don't, I, I don't have a super bet here, but I'm sure, but I'm very confident that Elaine May will win, so I yeah. easily have her at number one. I wonder if she'll be, I'll, I, I wish I did research about this, but I wonder if she'll be the oldest ever winner in this category if she wins. I think, oh. I think she very well could be. Oh, I guess I, I should research that. I know she's, She's either 86 or 87. She's 87. Okay, yeah, I knew she was born in 1932, but I didn't know when her birthday was. Oh, well, well, yeah, in any case, you know, she's, of course, for a lot of you kids who probably never even heard of Elaine May, well, she's a legendary comedian, writer, and director. She co-wrote, um, uh, well, well, yeah, she earned Oscar nominations for writing Heaven Can Wait and, uh, oh yeah, Primary, Primary Colors. Colors, yes, and she also, of course, had a long relation, well, working relationship with Mike Nichols, yes. And she, uh, and yeah, she, so in a, fact, she also has an, uh, she also un- has an uncredited, well, she also did some uncredited rewrites on the original movie of Tootsie, which, of course, we'll be talking about on the musical side. Well, at least, at least this is definitely better than the time she directed one of the most notorious box office bombs of all time, Ishtar. Mm. And Ishtar, of course, starred Dustin Hoffman, who, of course, starred in the original film version of Tootsie. Well, yes, and... Well, yes, and and of course, and, and in fact, I, I did mention in the message boards on Gold Derby something Michael Riedel referenced in his column is that she will be able... She is going to be at the Tonys. It'll be interesting to see, like, because some, uh, sometimes with the Tonys, like, they put the lead act, actor, actress in a category for the play side first and not last near the end of the show, which is always kind of weird because you would think they'd save that for near the end of the show. Well, I mean, they usually save the at least lead acting in musical categories, at least second to last before best musical. And while, well, I mean, there were at least a couple of times this past decade where lead acting in a play category came first. I mean, 2015, I can understand because because it was lead actress in a play, and I guess they wanted to get the locked in and over with with Helen Mirren in the audience. Yeah, well, they they presented Andrew Garfield's category. I think the first last year. Yes, they did. One for that. So. Well, well, at least they had a great speech to start with. Yeah. And um, yes, and as for yeah, yeah, according to New York Times article, Elaine May is the overwhelming favorite to win her first Tony for what was considered to be a devastating portrayal of a woman losing her memory in the Waverly Gallery. And it's because of her winning here that I have the Waverly Gallery winning revival of a play as well. Well, yes, although I could see some spread the wealth kind of thing. Well, I guess we'll talk a little more about that in the next category. But Well, the Tonys, unlike the Oscars, the Tonys still seem to be in favor of big sweeps. Well, well, yes. Well, yes. And, and, but, yeah, oh, yes, for my overall rankings, Elaine May in first, followed by Annette Benning. Heidi Schreck, Laura Donnelly, Laurie, uh, Janet McTeer, and Laurie Metcalf. All right. Well, uh, let's see. My lineup's sort of similar, but a little bit different. I have actually have Heidi Schreck in second place. Well, that's a pretty good one. Because since her play is, seems to be the only possible play that could pull an upset win over the ferryman, I think that leaves her in a good chance to possibly win here as well if... Somehow Elaine May doesn't win, but then I have Annette Benning in third, 
and then Laura Donnelly in fourth, and then Laurie Metcalf in fifth, just because Hillary and Clinton, I believe, is still running. Well, yes, it is. And and then Janet McTeer in sixth, just because literally nobody was expecting her to get nominated. Well, well, yeah. In fact, those bottom are very interchangeable because, yes, Janet McTeer was definitely the most shocking nominee of them all. Although... Yeah, although, you know, her show, while is no longer running, it at least has an additional nomination for costume design. Well, again, Metcalf, there's no other recognition for her play, even though it is still running. But, again, I mean, I guess, are you ready to move on? Yeah, I mean, just, it's just, it's a lame maze to lose. Just none, none the other nominees shouldn't even bother writing a speech. Well, well yes. And in fact, uh... Uh, oh yes, and and I'm sure sh- sh- Elaine will probably dedicate the award to her recently deceased partner of 20 years, Stanley Donnan. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm sure she'll probably throw in a dedication to Mike Nichols as well. Well, yeah, I guess that's also possible. So now on to best featured actor in a play, and the nominees are the nominees are Bertie Carvel, Inc., Robin De Jesus, The Boys in the Band, Gideon Glick, To Kill a Mockingbird. Brandon Uranowitz, Burn This, and Benjamin Walker, All My Sons. And this has to be a very competitive race. I mean, in fact, probably the most mysterious race of all the categories this year, at least one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, since I'm not predicting All My Sons to win the revival of a play category, I therefore predicting Bertie Carvel will win here. And, oh. But I do have Benjamin Walker in second place, followed by Brandon Uranowitz in third, Gideon Glick in fourth, and Robin De Jesus in fifth. Well, in fact, that's something I'd like to point out. Okay. Uh, okay. My rank... In fact, that's probably... so. At least so far, has to be the most different rankings you and I have so far. I'm predicting Benjamin Walker to win because with all my sons not being far behind in the race for best revival of a play, I think Tony voters could show their support for the production here, either as a way to acknowledge it, or if it wins revival play, then he could just be their corresponding win. Well, I have Bertie Carville winning because I think if any voter was upset that he didn't win for Matilda well, in 2013, they may feel they can make it up to him here. And plus, this would continue the trend of kind of like with the Oscars. You know, the Tonys also like to reward actors for playing real people. And in this case, Bertie Carville plays Rupert Murdoch. Well, yes. In fact, the last two winners in this category were for playing real people like Michael Aronoff in Oslo and Nathan Lang as Roy Cohn in Angels in America. Mm-hmm. Yes. In fact, uh, in fact, I, in fact, when well, well, the New York well, Times. Well, plus, I uh, I also forgot to mention. Um, I do think also the uh, the fact that this is a play about the news media could also be help make his win seem relevant because you know, of course, in the age of like Donald Trump versus the media, especially with Trump declaring media he doesn't like to be fake news and how some of his followers easily swallow that crap that he spews out. And, you know, I think this could be a way of kind of, if Tony voters want to get political, this could be their way of giving Trump the middle finger. Hmm. Okay. And in fact, and as I was about to say, well, the New York Times order poll sadly doesn't dig into the other categories beyond play, play revive, well, big productions and acting, well, lead acting categories. They don't go into featured, so... I will say that, you know, with the boys in band leading in a close race for best play revival, according to the New York Times at least, I've actually started to wonder if Robin DeJesus could just pull an upset in this category. Mm, I don't know. I mean, like, I I know that the boys in the band, it's meant to be like an ensemble piece, so... And he's the only acting nomination for it. True. Yeah. So that. So I think voters may feel, well, it's not really fair to reward him and not reward everyone else. Well. Well. Yes. Although they could just see it as an opportunity to award the cast, especially since he doesn't have a co-star to split votes from. Yeah, but I mean, uh, I just and I just think some of these other nominees have more buzz in the fact that the show closed nearly a year ago probably doesn't help him. Hmm. Well, in any case, again, I have a 
well, well, okay, but, you know. In fact, your point about Bertie Carvel, yes, he is reprising his Olivier Award-winning performance as Rupert Murdoch in Inc., and he probably does still have a bit of goodwill from Matilda, which people thought he should have won him the 20 in 2013, although, even though it was pretty much a case of category fraud, because he was competing as lead for his performance as the Trunchbull, even though, well, anyone who's at least familiar with the story of Matilda knows that character isn't even close to being the lead. Well, now we don't have to worry about category fraud here. Yes, that's true. So, yeah, I do have Birdie in third place. And, okay, I have Robin DeJesus in second. I moved him up this morning just because, you know, just a feeling I have if there is this search for boys in the band. And, uh, yeah, bottom two, Brandon Uranowitz and Gideon Glick. Yeah. Well, I have Brandon Uranowitz in third because I, I could see some voters possibly feeling, well, it's his third nomination this decade. Why don't we just you know, give it to him now, you yeah, know, before he becomes overdue. Mm -hmm. Plus, you know, he's taking on an, an iconic gay character and maybe the, and voters may feel like, you know, with this and boys in the band, if they feel that they want to spread the wealth in terms of gay representation, you know, if they decide to give boys in the band best revival, then maybe, then maybe they give him this category, hmm. you know, and of course it, uh, Burn This, I know, also, of course, deals with the AIDS crisis and like many gay plays of that era did. Um, and maybe, and, you know, it's still a very, even if it's not as big of an issue now as it was then, it's still a relevant issue. So maybe they may feel, you know, it helps raise awareness of the issue. Hmm. Well, At least, I think Burn This deals with AIDS, doesn't it? I don't want to mix things up. Uh, uh, well, it, I think so. I'm looking it up. I mean, I know the guy who originated that role on Broadway was at least nominated. He didn't win. John Allen was the only Tony winner for that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, it actually includes themes of gay identity and relationships. Okay. Um, yeah, and then I have Gideon Glick in fourth because I feel, even though he probably doesn't really have much of a chance of winning... Again, kind of going back to Jeff Daniels, if voters feel that To Kill a Mockingbird was robbed in best play, they may feel, well, we can make up make it up for that by giving all the actors Tonys. Well, yeah, although Gideon Glick, he was not the one person people from To Kill a Mockingbird people were predicting to get in here. People thought it would be Benga Akinagbi, I hope I pronounced that right, to, to get in. Yeah, and I, I know there was like... I know there was some controversy when the nominations came out of the fact that none of the black actors in To Kill a Mockingbird got any nominations; only the white actors did. Hmm. Well, so maybe that could maybe that could also be maybe that could be problematic for some voters as well. Oh, oh yeah. At least this category isn't filled with white people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's ultimately a. Bertie Carvel, Benjamin Walker race because I don't really see any predictors predict predicting the the other three. So we'll just have to see what goes on. Yeah. So so are you ready to talk about featured actress in the play? Yep. All right. The nominees are Fiona Flanagan, The Ferryman, Celia Keenan Bolger, To Kill a Mockingbird, Christine Nielsen, Gary, a sequel to Titus Andronicus. Julie White, Gary, a sequel to Titus Andronicus, and Ruth Wilson, King Lear. Now, as you were talking about with whether or not there's sympathy for those from those voters who thought To Kill a Mockingbird should have been nominated, this is actually the one category where I have it taking home something. That's Yellow King and Bulger. Same here. And, and I know, I forget which article pointed it out that I read. There was an article that pointed out how every time she gets a Tony nomination, She's either playing a child or she's playing an adult with a childlike mentality. Well, yeah, I mean, she's played child. She's kind of made a career for herself being a doll playing children in the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, Pizza and the Starcatcher, and Glass Menagerie. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, well, I mean, in the Glass Menagerie, she technically plays an adult, but one with a childlike mentality. Well, yes, that's true. 
So. Yes, and I have her winning. In fact, um, she's not. In fact, leading up to the Tony, she's not only won the Outer Critics Circle Drama Desk Awards for her performance as Scout, but she's also really been putting herself out there. She's been interviewed by Jack Smart for In the Envelope and Scott Feinberg for The Hollywood Reporter. And while a lot of people, myself included, did predict her to win five years ago for The Glass Menagerie, despite coming up short in the end to Sofia Conedo for Raisin in the Sun, I think this year the Broadway community will rally to finally give her the recognition she deserves Mm -hmm. yeah i was thinking the exact same thing as well and although maybe there's somewhat of a chance fanula flanagan i that's how she pronounces her name i heard her say it okay um i i originally thought it was fianula before i heard her say it but she's uh she's irish so that's why it's spelled and pronounced like that yeah Given that she's one of the few original cast members of the Ferryman still left, that can certainly help her possibly pull an upset win. Yeah, that's why I, that's my thinking too. I do have her in seconds. Yeah, you know she's and this is, and this is her first Tony nomination in forty five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like one of the longest gaps ever between Tony nominations. Mm-hmm. Yes, and. Well, yes, and plus, you know, if this were the Oscars, people would be thinking, well, this would be the Veteran Achievement Award, as, you know, as there's the question of how many opportunities would there be left to award her? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, she's, like in her, she's, like, in her mid to late 70s, I believe, so... Mm. Uh, well, yes, in fact, and yeah, and I definitely think she is the Ferryman's best shot at an acting prize, though, though, again, I think the community's got Raleigh more around their hometown favorites like Celia. As for the rest of my rankings, Julie White in third, Christine Nielsen in fourth, and Ruth Wilson in fifth. Alright. Yeah, I have Ruth Wilson in last place as well, but I actually have Christine Nielsen in third and Julie White in fourth, mainly because Christine Nielsen's been with the show longer and she still has has not won a Tony, whereas Julie White already has a Tony. Well, well, that's true. Although, and plus, Christy Nielsen, uh, from what I've heard, is supposed to be the female lead of that play. And we've seen how being a lead in supporting has helped people at the Oscars, like Mahershala Ali in Green Book, or Alicia Vikander in The Danish Girl, or Jennifer Connelly in A Beautiful Mind, or even Tatum O'Neill in Paper Moon. Yeah, so, I mean, I mean, well, I don't think either of them are going to win, because I think in this case... Yeah, while, vote the to- while the Tonys aren't usually as impacted by vote splits, I think it will be in this category. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, vote splitting doesn't always happen. Is of course usually dependent on if there's like a clear standout. And well, I have Julie Wright ranked higher because well, she has the narrative of how she literally joined the cast at the last minute because Andrea Martin. Well, okay, originally Christine Nielsen was in Julie White's role while Andrea Martin was playing the role Christine Nielsen's playing now. But Andrea Martin broke her ribs in middle of rehearsals, and so therefore Christine Nielsen was promoted up to the lead, and Julie White took over for Nielsen at the last minute. Poor Aunt Vula. I had to throw in a My Big Fat Greek Wedding reference there. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Because that's what most people probably think of Andrea Martin if you mention yeah. the role she's played. That's probably, like, the one that'll stand out the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. But... Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, I think I think Celia's a lock. I think Fanula might have a slight chance of an upset, but, yeah, the other three ladies... Sorry, but you're not going to be pulling an acceptance speech out of your purse. Well, yeah, just be glad to be there at the Tonys. Yeah, I mean, I've, I felt so bad for, I remember a few back in 2014, I, I felt so bad for Estelle Parsons when she was nominated for The Velocity of Autumn because I the camera literally caught a shot of her reaching into her purse in <laughs> case her name was called, although... I think pretty much everyone knew that she had 0% chance of winning because yes. her production was absolutely trashed by critics. And she was the only nomination, therefore she was clearly in last place. Or or you can even think of, well, when Eddie Redmayne won the Oscar for The Theory of Everything, as he was making his way up on the stage, you can see Michael Keaton putting his speech back into his pocket. Yeah. Well, at least Michael Keaton had somewhat of a chance of winning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I and now on to the best direction of a play. Uh, yes. Okay. I got, uh, I'm going to flip my page here. All right, and the nominees are? Sam Mendes, The Ferryman, George C. Wolfe, Gary, a sequel to Titus Andronicus, Rupert Gould, Inc., Evo Van Hova, Network, 
and Bartlett shared to kill a mockingbird. And I think this is an easy one for Sam Mendes. He can, he might as well prepare to add a Tony next to his Oscar for American Beauty. Didn't he win a Tony for his the 1998 revival of Cabaret? No, he lost to Julie Taymor for The Lion King. Oh, of course. I am. Okay, yeah. I thought he'd won at least one Tony, but I guess he... No, this is only his second nomination. And first... Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, although first sole nomination he has to himself because he shared directing credit on Cabaret with Rob Marshall. Mm, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm not as familiar with Tony history as Oscar history, so, mm-hmm. so I'm not going to get as many of the facts right, folks. <laughs> but yeah... Well, I, nobody's I think, perfect. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's far out front because he's having to direct a huge cast, including children, live animals, and a baby. And, of course, it should be noted that The Ferryman is the very first Broadway production to ever have a live baby in a show. Because most productions always use dolls for babies. Mm -hmm. Yes. In fact, the real question I have is he'll even be able to make it to the ceremony because he's currently in Europe right now shooting his next film, 1917. And while principal photography I read is supposed to wrap up sometime this month, I don't know exactly when. Well, I'm sure he... Well, unless he's... Unless they're, like, in a very tight situation, I'm sure he can get an assistant director to cover for him for a few days. Well, yeah, or unless they can spend the weekend doing second unit or something, but... Yeah, hopefully the producers of 1917 are able to give him the weekend off so he can be in NYC. If not, I'm sure someone else can accept the award on his behalf. But as for my overall ranking, Sam Mendes, Rupert Gould, George C. Wolf, Bartlett Shear, Nevo Von Hova. All right, well, I have Sam Mendes, Bartlett Shear, Rupert Gould, Evo Van Hova, and George C. Wolf. Well, well, yeah, I guess I have Bart and Evo ranked bottom, mainly because, well, their productions weren't nominated for Best Play, and I don't know if there's ever been a point in history where uh, a show won Best uh, show won best Director but wasn't even nominated for Play. I don't know about that. Well, I guess I, guess I, have, I have Network higher than Gary because, you know, I guess it, it probably... Because it it showcases more directing, you know, with Tom O'Neill's more rule. Oh, well, yes. In order to win, you got to have the most of something. Like the bigger performance wins an acting prize. The most costumes. The most scenery. The most lighting. Which, of course, we'll be getting to the, cost, the design categories shortly. Yeah. And I, shouldn't, and I should note that I originally did predict Evo Van Hova to get nominated. But then I took him out and replaced him with Lila Neugebauer for the Waverly Gallery, and she got snubbed. And Evo and got Evo, in. And Evo got in. <laughs> well, well, yeah, you know, yeah, I must admit, I, I also had similar predictions to that, mainly because I did not have networking into Best Play, and I just wasn't sure how it could possibly get into Director if it doesn't get into Best Play. Well, I guess they really like how Evo Van Hova kind of reinterprets works for the stage you know considering how he pretty much stripped away and rebuilt from the ground up uh arthur miller's a view from the bridge Mm. it'll be interesting to see what he does for west side story yeah yes you know yeah and yes and and i guess also you know they at least noticed that it was all his vision since you know but yeah so I guess now on to uh, the design categories. I guess we can start with uh, best sound design of a play. And so the nominees... Okay, it's my turn. Okay, uh, the nominees for best sound design of a play are Adam Cork, Inc., Scott Slayer, To Kill a Mockingbird, Fats Patton, Choir Boy, Nick Powell, The Ferryman, and Eric Seasham, Network. All right, uh... I have the ferryman winning here. Same here. Followed by Network, Choir Boy, To Kill a Mockingbird, and Ink. Well, I actually have a Choir Boy in second place because, you know, we've seen in the past how plays with music tend to have an advantage in this category, like Lady Day at Emerson's Barn Grill in 2014, or The Nance in the year before, or the year before that, Peter and the Starcatcher. But I kept in mind the fact that the entire Tony votership can't all vote for sound anymore. Only right. select you can. 
So I'm thinking, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think from a sound designer's perspective on how these might be ranked, and I'm guessing the sound designers maybe might be more impressed with network considering how it has to recreate sounds associated with TV broadcasting. Oh, yeah, it's a very technical production. So, you know, and, um, yeah, so that's why I have it in second place. And then the Ferryman, though, I have winning there because, you know, it has to incorporate all these different sounds, and many of them aren't even pre-recorded. You have to deal with live sounds, like live animals, and possibly the baby crying on stage if it gets, you know, antsy. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So, so like, as a sound designer, when you have to inject the actual pre-recorded sound, you know, how do you deal with the live sound as well? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, yes. Although, again, there's music in Choir Boy. I don't mean just incidental music. I mean, there's singing. I mean, it's about a choir. Duh. But, again, uh, I, mean, uh, I mean, I have, again, in fact, it should be interesting to see if the peer group, well, you know, if it can be easier for a closed show like Choir Boy to win, but we'll see. And, uh, oh, yeah, uh, so my overall rankings are Ferryman, Choir Boy, Network, Inc., and To Kill a Mockingbird. All right, and uh, let's see, next up, what do you have next? Because uh, Best lighting design of a play. All right, uh, All right. and the nominees are The Ferryman, Gary, a sequel to Titus Andronicus, Inc., Network, and To Kill a Mockingbird. I have the ferryman winning this as well, followed and followed by Ink, Network, To Kill a Mockingbird, and Gary, a sequel to Titus Andronicus. Um, I actually have Network winning because, ah. I mean, based on what I've heard and the fact that it's, you know, you're having to recreate a live TV broadcast on stage, it's well, obviously going to have the most lighting. Well, so yeah, in fact, we should of- point out that... Okay, usually when projections get Tony nominations, they're usually put in the scenic design categories. However, in this case, it's put in the lighting category, meaning Jan Versfeld did the physical scenery while Tal Yardin did the projections. Yeah, so I think that combination, I think, will help put network over the top because you're having to basically create a live TV broadcast, but on stage. Hmm. You know, and and it's obviously going to deal with a lot of flashing lights kind of like with uh, the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime and right. that one a lighting design tony as well yes so it's i'm, I'm taking tom o'neill's more most rule here because i'm assuming network probably has the most lighting mm-hmm. cues out of all these shows well yes although what i usually do is i usually do i look up photos of the productions or even video just to get a sense of what the lighting looks like i mean and i have same here yeah yes and and that's part of the reason why i have ink in second i actually originally had that winning because the lighting in that looks like hmm it looks like it could win although which is well which is why i have it second although i have the ferryman winning i guess kind of as part of a mini sweep i have going on for it and so, I mean, I guess uh, I guess also took it into account, okay, how many awards could the Ferryman actually win? That's something I took into account. I originally had it winning just play and director, but, you know, I'm, I'm starting to, I guess, take the design categories a little more seriously. And, and yeah, so, yeah. And, and well, I mean, I guess To Kill a Mockingbird is also a possibility, given that, you know, it's supposed to be a large production, and I... No, it's approached as a memory play, so maybe. And plus, it's plus the lighting designer is a legend in the lighting designer community, Jennifer Tipton. Yes, and I I don't know if she's ever won a Tony or not. Uh, let me look it up. I mean, uh, not to, and of course they're not the only legendary lighting designers in this category. There's also the team of Jules Fisher and Peggy Eisenhower who've won quite a few in the past. Uh, hold on. Oh, uh, okay. He actually has won two Tonys in the past for 1977 in for 1977 for the Cherry Orchard and in 1989 for Jerome Robbins Broadway. Oh, 
Okay. But but that last one was 30 years ago, so... Well, yeah. Some might feel she's due for another, kind of like with Meryl Streep winning her third Oscar 30 years after Sophie's Choice. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that could happen. Yeah, that's... I mean... But I think... But I do think Network probably is, in my opinion, a safe lock here because it's probably the most... It has probably has the most lights you being used. Uh, okay, I mean, it could happen. I know it's definitely the front runner according to the odds on Gold Derby, but we'll see. Now on to uh, Best Scenic Design of a Play. The nominees are... Okay, uh, Marion Buther, To Kill a Mockingbird, Bunny Christie, Inc., Rob Howell, The Ferryman, Santo Loquasto, Gary, a sequel to Titus Andronicus, and Jan Verseveld Network. So, I guess, what are your predictions? I have The Ferryman winning here, followed by Me too. Inc., To Kill a Mockingbird, Network, and Gary, a sequel to Titus Andronicus. Okay, well, yeah, in fact, you can, I guess you can make a, an argument for any one of these. Like, I have Network in second. I actually originally had that winning because I just thought, you know, how, because the set looked very inventive, especially with, like, a news, well, behind-the-scenes news crew of a news station on stage, and I believe there's on-stage seating as well. And, uh, and well, yeah, I believe Sam Ekman at least one point had ink winning. I mean, and, you know, Sam, of course, with Gary, of course, you're, you have a bunch of dead bodies on stage, which aren't real. And it's designed by the legendary Santo Loquasto. And, well, I mean, Marion Buther designed enormous sets for a play in To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah, I remember Ink was at one point considered the front runner, but then the ferryman kind of moved up in the ranks, so that's kind of why I had it in second place. And, you know, it's Kill a Mockingbird. They have to recreate everything from the Finch household to the courtroom to just the town of Macomb, Alabama. Yeah, especially in the Schubert Theater, which has been cited as, like, the Carnegie Hall of Broadway. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Uh... It's always it's, it's it's always hard to predict these design categories for shows you've never actually seen. So. Uh, well, yeah, they're uh, kind of like the short categories at the Oscars. Mm -hmm. So we're just going by what everyone else is saying for this. Well, yeah, yeah, I guess so. As well as I guess where I guess if one show might just get on a winning streak, like it could just like the Ferryman. I overall have five, winning five awards, including best play. So again, a whole, well, how many awards could potentially win thing taken into account? So I guess on to the final play category, which is best costume design of a play. And the nominees are? The nominees are Bernhardt Hamlet, The Ferryman, Gary, a sequel to Titus Andronicus, To Kill a Mockingbird, and Torch Song. Okay, so you have the legendary Anne Roth for the second year in a row having two nominations in this category. And while Gary, a sequel to Titus Andronicus, only has a cast of three people, I still have her winning for that because they seem to be the showier costumes than To Kill a Mockingbird, even though that's a larger ensemble. So I have her winning there. And what about you? Yeah, I have Gary winning as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, and well, as for the rest of the competition, well, there's some arguments to be made. Well, let's see, I mean, To Kill a Mockingbird, I mean, they're not the most obvious costumes that usually win, although it's still a period piece on a large ensemble. And third, my third place ranking, The Ferryman, well, again, large ensemble, but then again, is looks kind of contemporary, and that's not the kind of costumes that usually win this award. And fourth, Clint Ramos, Torch Song. Well, it's, it appears to be a period piece, and as well as the fact he's dealing with drag queens, but, you know, that show came and went early on this season, followed by my last playing ranking, which is Tony Lizley James for Bernhardt's Hamlet, even though that's a period piece, and it's dealing with Sarah Bernhardt's taking have, on the uh, role of Hamlet. I actually have The Ferryman in second place, oh. because I see some people are actually predicting it will win, and, you know, it is a large ensemble, and you have, like, the older and younger characters are dressed differently, at least from what I've seen in photos. Well, so they have, it's it's somewhat of a period piece, I guess, because it's set in the early 1980s, which huh. you know, fashion-wise, is seems like it was a whole nother world. Well, 
Yeah, I guess I guess that's a good point. Although again, it's not the kind of costumes they usually win. I mean, I mean but at least to the, me- the like Eclipsed won this category, and they were pretty much just wearing ratty T-shirts. Well, well, yeah, which I did predict would happen. Speaking of Clint Ramos, yes, and although. Uh, again, there was a couple arguments there. One, well, it did seem like a contemporary. Well, it wasn't like too contemporary. Like they're wearing the exact clothes we're wearing. I mean, they were playing these, you know, women living in, I guess, troubled Africa. And coupled with the fact that that definitely seemed like the best place to have awarded the play. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's a fair point. Um, but I, uh, but I actually have Bernhard Hamlet in third because. You're having to recreate two types of period costumes. You're having to recreate, you know, 19th century costumes as well as since it's about Sarah Bernhardt's take on playing Hamlet on stage, you obviously have to create Shakespearean costumes as well. And Shakespearean costumes have done very well in this category in the past, like with Twelfth Night. Mm-hmm. Yes, which dealt with a lot of men playing women. Mm-hmm. And in this case, you have a woman playing a man. Yes. Yes, and, well, I guess maybe if that Bernhardt Hamlet was a little more, I guess, in the conversation, like if it was still running, or if it was, like, nominated for Best Play, I'd be taking it more seriously, but, eh, I just, I just don't see it. Yeah, and then I have To Kill a Mockingbird and Torch Song as my bottom two. Fair, fair enough. So, I guess that just about takes care of it in the play categories. We'll be back soon with our predictions for the musical categories. Stay tuned. If you like what you've heard here, please subscribe to wherever you get this podcast. Feel free to rate and or review this show on iTunes. If you'd like to find more content from me, please visit my website, which is www.carereviews.com. You can also find it on Twitter at Care Reviews and me at Jeffrey Care. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you all later.